Out of the 95 Best Picture winners, only one will be crowned the bestest of the best. This is the final stretch of the quest for the bestest from Backlot Banter. Your hosts are Timo Nelson, Abram Buner, Tucker Hazel, and Tanner Dykstra. You can find more of our content on YouTube and Twitter at Backlot Banter. The episode gets started in just a moment. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Quest for the Bestest. It's the podcast from Backlot Banter, where us four Backlot boys review every single Best Picture winner and place them on a gigantic list of every single Best Picture winner of all time. That's right, it's the Quest for the Bestest, and this week we are talking about Forrest Gump, 1994, directed by Robert Zemeckis, starring Tom Hanks, Robin Wright, Gary Sinise, and uh, Sally Field, among some others, um, this is a film that is much beloved in our popular zeitgeist. But what does it say? What does it have to? How does it compare to all of these other Best Picture winners? That's what we're gonna find out today. But before we do any finding out, I want to remind you, dear viewer, what our discussion ended up with last time. Because last episode, oh boy, we talked about Cimarron from oh yeah. ye olden times of filmmaking. And well, we did not give it such a good score. We put it at a uh, a four point seven, and which means that the film goes at spot number eighty on the list, kind of down there near wow, the bottom. Wow. After today, we'll have ninety films on the list, so wow. eighty out of ninety. Eesh. I'm but, than eighty-five. You know what? There were some some things to talk about the movie, so I recommend you go yeah. and uh, and check the review out. See what kind of inklings of meaning we can scrape together from this very old film. But enough, enough of Cimarron. I don't really want to think about the movie much more. Let's think about a featured comment. Abram, did you pull one together for this episode? Here's the situation, Timo. Mm -hmm. We have one comment um, on our, our recent quest episode from John Tor saying that no, he hasn't watched true. the movie <laughs> and yeah. that he's been watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So John Tor, thank you, but that's really not helpful. No. no. Um, <laughs> so what I'm going to do instead is use this featured comment slot as a way to plug our other movie work. And I'm going to go to our our video called Everyone is Wrong about the <gasps> Super Mario Brothers movie, the 1993 mm -hmm. version. And get this comment here from Vegeta's Hairline, who says the following. Thank you, Vegeta's Hairline. <laughs> uh, I was a kid when I watched the Mario movie back in like 2009. Someone dropped the whole movie on YouTube back when that was commonplace, LMAO, and I remember loving it. It's so weird in all the right ways. Oh, yeah. Now, the reason I want to shut this out is because if you were watching us on YouTube, you probably, much like a lot of our Quest stragglers, got grabbed by this random review and found us. Well, yeah. we do a lot of reviews of contemporary movies. Now, this Mario movie from 1993 is like a contemporary. Example. What a fun example. A fun example, we review all kinds of stuff, and if you're here on YouTube, you're probably not subscribed, because 85% of you watch your videos but don't subscribe, uh, and we're about to sit here for probably an hour and 15 minutes and talk to you about Forrest Gump. If that's not worth a subscription, I don't know what else. Yeah. Oh, God. Better that's videos? True. Very true, Abram. And Abram, thank you for bringing that up, because it serves as a very strange segue into Forrest Gump, because okay. can anyone here, except Tucker or I, name the connective tissue between the super, sorry, Super Mario Bros. 1993 and Forrest Gump. 
There is a there is one there's one one person on the crew on the crew uh, technically speaking that is uh, common between both those films. Ooh, I don't know. I haven't seen. Any Super, guesses? Any I haven't guesses? seen the Mario movie from the Any same guesses? year that this one is from. It is cinematographer editor. It is in fact Robert Zemeckis. The composer Alan Silvestri did yeah. both the, did the score yeah. for both films. Huh. Was, I liked nice I liked the score in the Mario movie. It was it was really weird, but I it's thought it was very fun. V- it's it's an it's insanely whimsical that score. Yes, <laughs> yes. This um, is a pretty anyway. whimsical movie as well. That's yeah, true, I would say. Do we have any any plot lovers, any synopsis givers in in our attendance tonight? Anyone want to try to espouse what happened in this movie? Um, I can give it a shot. All right, Tanner, give it a go. All right. Um, are you guys familiar with a, any history textbook, American history textbook that covers no, right the on. mid to late twentieth century? No, I deleted uh, that from my memory. Oh, okay. Uh, well, just just lay that lay that information out in front of you from the years of 1955, basically, to 1983, and just plug in our hero, a a a, a lovable oaf of a southern man, Forrest Gump, and just kind of just dot him in through those historical events. Because that's, for, that's what Forrest Gump does. I feel like I don't need to really explain the plot of this film. Um, I was under the impression that nearly everyone in the world had seen this film, but... Abram and Timo, this is your first time watching Forrest Gump mm-hmm. and seeing him transpire through events such as the Watergate scandal, the Vietnam War, the countercultural movement of the 1970s, rock and roll and all that jazz. So I want to hear from one of you two first. I need to know what your thoughts are. Mm. Yeah. Abram, you look I, very ready. Yeah. Give it. I just didn't like it that much. Yeah. Uh I found Forrest Gump to be endearing, but ultimately sort of tiresome. Hmm. I, I think the moment that really catalyzed it for me is when he's seeing Richard Nixon because he's on the, the ping pong, uh, all American ping pong team. Yes. And he's staying in like a Motel 6 and Nixon goes, boy, do I have a spot for you. <laughs> uh, and it cuts to him in the, in the Watergate hotel or over, mm-hmm. or sorry, overlooking. I don't remember if Watergate yeah, he's was in like the a Watergate bank hotel. or what it was. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously it's a joke and obviously this is a comedic film, but on a subjective level, I didn't find it that funny. And just sort of as a, as an observer, I found the plot so just meandering. It yeah. almost it, it almost felt like it felt like a Marvel movie, but for a boomer. It is Abram, like you you that is my main point. Why you can't take that from interesting. me? Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, 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 I actually do want to respond directly to that because I had a no, I had a reaction to that moment as well, which was as soon as uh, Forrest Gump arrives at this hotel, looks out the window. He's like, "You guys might want to take a look down there. You know, there's some some they must have broke a the lights must not be working or something. You might want to send someone to check on them." I laughed so hard and then turned over to Tanner and said, "Forrest Gump might be the funniest character I have ever seen in my entire life." I had not seen this movie since I was eh, 12 or something, and frankly, I'm not sure if I'd seen it all the way through. But I found one of the most interesting films I've ever seen, not because I love it to death, but because this movie is just so different. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you write something like this? Why why is this guy so important? Thematically, I think it's a little bit confused or not very clear, but 
what it stands for in terms of a vehicle for performance, for comedic beats, for reframing history in really, and I, I think, very compelling ways for ta talking about the interplay between different characters and what it stands as sort of in this moment in time, as I definitely want to talk about. I think this is a phenomenal film. I loved it from beginning to end, and I, I've got another one. Of course, I knew this was going to be a movie that, I knew it was a movie that people liked, so it wasn't like, oh, Forrest Gump, this is an underdog. But I now can add it to my other stack of Zemeckis films that I like and just like, boom, he's just mm -hmm. he's just one of the greats. Mm -hmm. I will say that my assessment, yes, I do think it is like some sort of Marvel uh, cultural, ref just like a reference movie for boomers. But I also agree with Tucker that it is pretty funny, and I was laughing at a lot of moments, and I do think that this Forrest Gump character is, he's hes a funny dude, and he, he always has a way of saying, just, he says, like, the right thing in the totally wrong way, like, every single time. He says the overly right thing. Yeah, he's, like, exactly, like, with the drill sergeant. That, I mean, that, I was, that, That's I laughed. so funny. Oh, <laughs> my God. Forrest Gump, you are a genius. <laughs> It's that like, is one of the that is one of the most perfect answers I've ever heard in my entire life. I would recommend you to be a sergeant right now. Fire, fire gun. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like so that that uses our character, our, like our central characteristic of our central character, to get lots of comedy in in many many points throughout the film. But I did kind of find its plot to be meandering. And as soon as I like got what was going on, I was like, okay, all right. Oh wow, he's in Vietnam. Okay, now we're going to like. Going to the next historical moment, and ah, Forrest Gump like has the TV on every single time an important political figure is assassinated, but he like never notices, or like it doesn't occur to him what's what's really going on. So, I feel like the film is portraying a very is a very indicative of the '90s and this very pro-America, rah-rah American stance. There's a number of shots where it's like the Statue of Liberty. There's like fireworks exploding behind it, and the characters are commenting on how how great they feel and how it's a very warm and nice moment in the film. And so I definitely read not propaganda out of the movie, but a, an extremely strong pro-America sentiment that I think is very in line with the cultural milieu of the early 1990s of everything that had built up to it at this point. It's a very optimistic time in American history, and I can kind of read that out of this film. Gump is a film that I've seen probably five or six times throughout the, throughout my entire life in, in, in its entirety and then maybe adding on to that in, in bits and pieces on television. But I hadn't seen it probably since sophomore year of high school. So I'd never given it a critical eye. But what I did know about it is that there were people who were turning on it in largely the same fashion that it seems that we are. And... I understand that now. I think that Forrest Gump, if nothing else, is a insanely fascinating film. Yeah. If only because I don't know if Robert Zemeckis knew what he was making when he was making Forrest Gump. Hmm. I don't think, like, wh what is Forrest Gump? Is it like this dark, satirical mirror of the, of the late 20th century and the cultural upheavals of that time? Is it, you know, a Marvel movie for boomers to look back at this period in history and be like, look at all this crazy stuff we lived through. Look at all the great music. Look at all the great culture. And we it's, did it all, baby. The needle drops in this movie. Holy hell, they must have spent a huge amount of money on licensing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is it like this, is it this insanely sentimental piece that, you know, what, 
drills you into the heart, drills you into the heart of Forrest and Jenny, the, this, the, these two people who are sort of kindred spirits through this tumultuous period in American history. Is it all of these things in one big mixing pot? And I can't really make up its mind about which one it is at a given time. I don't know, but I am certainly happy to be talking about it here today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why not we begin with our central character, Mr. Gump, Tom mm-hmm. Hanks. What did you think of the performance or the character, the development? Let's start with our, our, our leading man, how about? I thought you were trying to refer to one of us as oh. the leading man. Uh, we're an ensemble cast, yeah. Timo. Yeah. Uh, no, Tom Hanks in this role is interesting to me because he, he of course, did win uh, Best Actor for this role. I'll go over the full list of wins and noms later, but he did win Best Actor for this, which is interesting to me because this isn't, like, a character study by any means. I mean, the whole conceit of Forrest Gump is that he's kind of like a steady constant of a character who is acted upon by the outside world and sort of stumbles into these things and reacts in largely the same manner as he always does for two hours and... 15 minutes or however long this film is but obviously i would it would be i would be remiss to say if i if tom hanks wasn't extremely endearing in this role i mean it is he embodies one of the classic american film characters of all time and there's a reason for that Mm -hmm. he is just pitch perfect in this role he embodies it tom hanks is forrest gump forrest gump is tom hanks that's the, that, that's the beginning and ending of it. And I think he's really great in this role. That No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yeah. I I think that, and this is not necessarily a controversial opinion, but he's the reason this movie works, because he embodies the character so fully. And I think the mark of a great character writing-wise and combined with great performance performance-wise is when you feel that you're in the headspace of a character and that you understand their every thought and move and and you know their tics and you know their their history and that what that's what this entire movie is focused on you are in the mind of Forrest Gump as he's describing his own past and one of I think the great um, creative choices of this film to frame it through him telling his stories to other people. It's a film about connection, about communication, and the narration is in-world truth because he's telling these stories to the people sitting that are just passers-by, that are just listening into an interesting life. And the way that Tom Hanks gives Forrest Gump uh, a, a unique set of mannerisms, a unique way of speaking that's kind of Southern, but a little bit slower that mixes in inspirations for other, from other places. He is one of the most compelling characters I've ever seen because he doesn't change, because the writing is all around him. And he is a force, but not an intentional force. And I think that's really fascinating. And that could be, that could easily be like a bull in a china shop kind of awkward i don't really like this guy because he's impacting all these things but tom hanks's tom hanks performance endears you so much to him and you recognize that he is probably the most caring human being that has ever lived on this entire planet that you can't help but i I think can't help but root for him and want him to to be with jenny and live the life that he's dreaming of and chase each subsequent path that he's going down because he's so passionate about it and Again, he's the reason why this film works so much for me, combined with the the, the fracturing weird plot that we have going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to I want to jump off of what Tucker said about the frame narrative because I think we're so quickly introduced to a situation that illustrates who Forrest Gump is as a character. 
Yeah. He is the sort of man that sits down at the bus stop and sees somebody next to him and immediately just starts talking and, and explaining and sharing his life. And so to that end, I think the script does a lot of the work to make the character Forrest Gump compelling. What Tom Hanks adds to the, the page is this sort of feeling of earnestness. And, and I think it's like a metered earnestness because obviously there's a, there's like, there's a big wall between Forrest and like empathy and traditional expression of emotion. But Tom Hanks, just like in his eyes and in his face, you can, you can see that in his earnest way, he understands or empathizes on a different level or, or mm. th there's something going on there that only Forrest understands, only the audience comes to learn through his very sort of, uh, at times, melancholic narration of thinking about Jenny as he's running or reflecting on the beauty of uh, the sunset and the sunrise over the, over the desert or whatever. Um, and he's so good at keeping all that contained until it's time to release emotion. And so when we see this kind of fury bubble up in him when he goes to beat up somebody on behalf of Jenny, or when he has this um, overwhelming like moment of fear when he sees his son and wonders, Great is moment. his son like me? The fact that that Tom Hanks is able to to call up these emotions and bottle them back up so quickly makes the performance really effective to Tucker's point about keeping this constant sense of earnestness that is just broken at just the right moment. Mm -hmm. And so I like the performance, but I do think that the script does a lot more for the character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was kind of debating with myself while I was watching. I was like, how much agency does Forrest really have? Like how many, how many choices is he making in this script that lead to the plot occurring or is the plot just happening to him? And I think that in this film, it kind of works as it's just happening to him. He is He's like a a log flowing down a a fast moving river. He's kind of like like a maybe like a like a feather in a, the wind. Oh, kind no, of I think that. a different metaphor would be more apt. <laughs> Timo, I can't believe you didn't go. I mean, that's obviously what it's supposed to to represent, mm. uh, fading in and out with that. But that is, of course, is the the point of this film is that it mm -hmm. is very free flowing, and I think that is what for me makes Forrest such a unique and compelling character is that. I'm thinking through each of the choices that he makes, and I don't really think that he makes any of the choices. Like, he goes to college because he's playing football, but he didn't mm -hmm. play football on purpose. No. He played football because someone saw him run real fast through a field on accident, and he went to the war because someone handed him an invitation, and he yeah. got the boat because Bubba told well, him that we should get a boat. The choice that he does make, though, is in Vietnam, he mm -hmm. does make the active choice to save everyone in sure. his uh, platoon because yeah. Forrest Gump, at his heart, is an intrinsically good guy. Yeah. Like, that's his whole thing. He he has that, uh, that uh, on-brand Southern earnestness about him uh, in, that he, in, in that he can do no wrong. Forrest is not a flawed character. Um, in that, in much a different way than a lot of our characters that we've talked about in this series, he is, mm -hmm. uh, to my mind, the only like pure protagonist that we have in terms sure. of uh, in terms of morality and uh, and action. Yeah, I mean, some of the conflict comes from like a misunderstanding, but it doesn't mm -hmm. come from him being wrong about a situation. Like, I don't think there's ever a moment where he, some character's trying to convince him to do something otherwise. Unless, I, well, 
when of the football stadium is like run forest stop forest uh-huh. such a good joke oh my yeah, God. yeah. In, in, <sighs> in the film it is packed with a lot of good jokes and obviously uh tom hanks is a storied comedic actor now yeah. uh and obviously in his presence in that as like the ultimate straight man essentially uh yeah. comedically is is important it's not a straight man. <laughs> He's not a straight man. Okay, really. very good. Very good, Tucker. Here's something that uh, I am kind of thinking about. I've been mulling yes. this in my head. Forrest Gump, to me, as a film and as a character, seems as kind of like a reinvention of an American folk hero. We have yes. a folk hero that is being crafted through and being formed through the formative moments of late 20th century American history. And he, we are supposed to read him as a a like a superhuman a super real character that like is america in some sort of way mm. i don't know if that's fully but i think he he is this new folk hero and the the film is definitely i don't know if it's trying to get us to identify with him but it's trying to get us to see him within the context of the the changing america and i think make us think about how America has developed and moved forward um, in the last 50, 60 years, well, from 1990 to 1950. For that yeah. reason, very interesting to be watching this directly after Cimarron, where Yancey Cravat is also essentially that character, except for 30 years prior. Uh, you or mean 30 s- to like 60 30 to, Yeah, 30 to 60 years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, it- it's exciting to me that you bring this up, Timo, because now we're really getting into what I think about the movie Forrest Gump. Fine. Because when I was when I was praising the script before, I want to be more precise. I was really praising the character writing for mm-hmm. Forrest. To me, that's where the script is is quite interesting. Otherwise, I think that the film is largely just this sort of platitude about like the American ideal. For Forrest Gump, for as much as he might seem like this mythic hero. And I made sort of a facetious letterboxed review to this effect mm-hmm. of really what Forrest Gump is, is he's that American boy who overcame his adversity and, and loves God and loves the military and loves football. And he's, he's, he's going across the South and he's got a big ranch and he owns a lot of land. And he's, he's here. Ranch to- that has been in his family for generations since his great, great grandfather founded the Ku Klux Klan or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> And there's a reverence for his name. Obviously, it's kind of played as a joke, but then yeah. his son is also named after the the grandfather of the Ku Klux Klan. And there's just all of this, like, to your point, Timo, like, what has now become just, like, modern American conservatism, I think just entirely wrapped up in this character of Forrest Gump. Yeah. To the point where, like, when he even might potentially be saying something critical about the war in Vietnam, his microphone gets unplugged. Would you like to know what he actually said? According like to Tom to Hanks? Okay. okay. Uh, it, because that moment in the film, you're right, uh, Abram, uh, as presented in the film by Zemeckis and in, uh, uh, Eric Roth, uh, I think, yeah. Eric Roth, yes, the, the, the writer Roth. of this film. Not Tim Roth. Uh, or Eli Roth, which is why I was getting tripped up. But as presented in the film is like, the moment where Forrest Gump actually gets to speak his mind about the political issue uh, and is silenced, effectively. But, you know, um, I do have what Tom Hanks says. He actually says in that moment, um, apparently, uh, when the mic is pull- when the mic is unplugged, he says, sometimes when people go to Vietnam, they go home to their mamas without any legs. Sometimes they don't go home at all. 
that's a bad thing. That's all I have to say about that. He seems to be talking for significantly longer than that. That's like, what Tom Hanks thing. says for a second. It's it's most accurate description. You, you, also, we have. Gotta, you also gotta remember I, I said it a lot faster than Forrest would have been saying. That's a great point. <laughs> and, yeah. and and that is fair, Tanner, but it also reminds me of, of a film of similar repute, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Mm, it, of course. And in which and with <laughs> Me too. In, in which <laughs> That's in not which, true. <laughs> Man, uh, in in which after the film came out we had ryan johnson and john boyega and basically anybody associated with the film like retroactively explaining what all what was happening in the film and what characters were saying when they weren't saying them mm-hmm. basically what i'm just trying to illustrate is i think this film and this just speaks more to my bias about what i'm looking for not looking for in my films but to me it really is just this big bundle of American individualism and hallmarks of being a good American boy and the evil woman who ran away to be a hippie freeloader. Please, please Abram, she is simply misguided. She must come back oh, to the common American values. She, she must the return <laughs> to our traditional value mm-hmm. system. What, our what plantation she, in the South. <laughs> what she needed was a strong, uh, affluent white gentleman to come and, and, and domesticate her. So she stopped going out and living her life, which is comprised only of domestic abuse and drugs and homelessness. Yes. And countercultural war protesting. Don't forget the countercultural war protesting and the and lewd appearances. On, yeah, the lewd appearances on stage. Tanner, thank you for reminding me of these other sin, these other sinful propagations. <laughs> yeah, I, I really feel like it's a Ben Shapiro video at a certain point when I'm watching. <laughs> it, this Forrest is why Gump. I find Forrest Gump to be a fascinating film, and why I ask myself and I, the question I posed here: Does Robert did Robert Zemeckis know what he was doing? When he was when he was making this, here's what like I, okay. The, what it doesn't I matter think, if he knew what he was doing. A, it doesn't really matter. I think that while today we are reading all these not so great elements out of the film, I think that like during the time that it came out, a lot of these cultural values were. I mean, we're in the time we're like end of H. W. Bush president and then clinton yeah, we're right two years at, into clinton you and know. so and clinton is like a moderate democrat he's like sort of progressive but sort of not and like the first black president <laughs> that's a lot what? of I, that's not a lot of people call them that a lot of people call them that i don't know i, saw, I just threw it out there that's because true. that is apparently a nickname for him at the time well Great to me i think that our yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's worse tucker like our current political situation and the ways that we see political tendencies represented in America have changed significantly, I feel like. And so while the film might not have intended to be read like this back in the day, and a lot of people would have probably not noticed some of the elements that we're talking about, I think today what you're saying, I mean, I am thinking about um, Jenny's character and yeah, I, she chooses to return. She it's it's she has agency in going back um, to Forrest, I would say I but I do think that the want of the film is to have her come back and like the tendency is to that she needs the sort of taming influence to in order to live a uh, a nice life. And I mean, I don't know, I the AIDS part at the end where she has AIDS 
is yeah. like apparently mm. it's it, it's not supposed to be AIDS in the sequel book to um, bro. How is it not Forrest supposed Gump? to be AIDS? It is an unknown it's and it's hepatitis C. Hepatitis C is what it's supposed. Not to be. much different, dude. Yeah. That, Come on, you can't, the, the, the lines in the movie and the context yes. of when it is yes. set is so, it is, yes. how are you not it supposed is. to read that as AIDS? I, the, the as a result of her doing all these drugs and hooking up with, like, yes. like, it's, like right. it makes a lot of sense for the character. That's the the thing about it, Timo, is you do make, you do make the right assessment. It's still an STD, that. though, so, right. it's, not like, it's not like this is, like, a worse STD to represent the time, I guess it is, but, no. like, no, no, I don't know. It, you, you make the good point in that we're reading a uh, Hasanabi watching liberal arts college attending 2023 guys reading a Forrest Gump. It is not too far off from the conversation I was having with Tana recently about Fight Club, mm-hmm. in which I found the motivations of uh, Tyler Durden weird because he's like an he's like an anti-government anarchist, whereas all of like the manosphere people of our current time are hyper-capitalist, big, you know, conservative people. At a certain point, you release a film that is a sort of political reflection of where you were when the film came out. And when you inherently, when you revisit that almost 30 years later, the political connotations of what's happening in the narrative will be different. But also, I'm also here to reevaluate Forrest Gump in a sense. So there's an interesting line to walk there, I think. I have something to say, but Tucker, you go ahead. Sorry. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting about all of this is you're right. These, these these themes, these concepts that are in there that I think you can read out of the subtext of the film are are absolutely something that is valid to shape the thoughts of a viewer watching it today. It's like, oh, uh-oh, I took some, I took some English and film classes. <laughs> I, I know where to pinpoint like character agency and theme. And I do that too. With my with the films that I watch, but I didn't do it when I was watching Forrest Gump, which is why I am pleased that you guys were able to to explain those things to me. But why they didn't impact my viewing when I was watching it last night, and I think maybe because I was set more in the context of this film presenting itself as a recapturing of history rather than politics, because I do think that it plays an interesting field in terms of presenting. Uh, a war hero from the Vietnam War, but also showing the countercultural side of the war, um, presenting different eras of politics, all through the same comedic lens of he's meeting each of these presidents that represent different values. It's it's all across a huge span of history, across the world, across politics. And for me, that's just more like these things happened and Forrest Gump being involved in them and I'm not just, I'm not coming up with this on my own. I have to cred- give the credit where it's due to uh, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, who <laughs> I watched their review uh, or oh, their yeah. video, um, Why Gump Now or something like that. Is why, yeah, whatever. It's, it's some video, I'll link it in the description. But mm-hmm. in which they said, they were trying to figure out why people loved Forrest Gump so much because we t- started this discussion talking about this is one of the, this is one of the great American films. It's on the yes. AFI Top 100. It's got high v- scores across the board. And because I hadn't seen it, I didn't have like that personal context for it. But I do think that for the time that it represents, what they were talking about is that it was hard to process so much history happening at once. And when you were living in this time and living through it and having all these things happen to you and feeling, feeling like you're being uh, thrown back and forth by war and by politics and by assassinations and all sorts of crazy stuff, Forrest Gump representing 
the the idea that you can come out of this a better person and through turmoil you can still be striving for good and for caring for others that is exactly what the american population wanted at that time it's like okay these things happened to us and looking back on them it was it was terrible and, and people died and crazy things happened but throughout all of that we can process this history to a positive light and i think that is the intention of forrest gump robert zemeckis making this film talking about history presenting it through the lens of this really care this really caring genuine guy that is the american representation of the people that were affected by this and i i i think that they're on to something uh, roger and ebert when they're saying that as they're reviewing it in the time or talking about it in the time but even looking back that is what weighs more heavily in my mind as a representation of its time and as what why it became so popular rather than the 2023 brain looking back of white male saves everyone and, and uh, does everything everywhere all at once uh, that is not that's not my reading of it even though i think both are contextually valid here's what i'll say about that um because, because that's all i have to say about that yeah there you go and here's what i will say about that because sure, yeah, uh, I, I I do think that the, that's an interesting uh, reading from Siskel and Ebert that it's like helping boomers. Siskel and Hazel, by the way. Yeah, excuse me, <laughs> Siskel Ebert Hazel, helping boomers <laughs> process these thirty years of history that they went through and how it was a culturally tumultuous time. At the same time, however, I think you do have to be you you do have to be a bit more critical than that because if we are saying that Forrest Gump is a, a is a model for how we should have acted and how we can come out of these times you know being a being a uh, morally righteous person we have to look at a, a, a bit more closely at his character than he cared about people and therefore he's the good guy hmm. because also it, it, everyone around Forrest dies basically i mean yeah bubba dies jenny dies his mom dies i'm sure i'm, I'm sure i'm leaving out others lieutenant Dan, J every president that he every meets president... dies or gets shot yeah um i mean he and then uh, lieutenant dan is like the only character who doesn't we die, must but visit of course, his character at some point because I, I think he is very important to decoding the film's message on vietnam Yes, well, and we we can talk about that as I'm about to mention him here because he, of course, is spurned by his uh, injuries in Vietnam and sort of forgotten by his government, like nearly all the Vietnam veterans were, until, of course, he partners up with Forrest Gump, sort of learns Forrest Gump's way of life, where and he just kind of rolls with the punches, converts to Christianity, and gets new legs, uh, titanium legs, like the, like the space shuttle's built out of. You got magic and legs. Because we, we because we are talking about Forrest Gump, Forrest Gump's character here. Yes, he cares about people, and yes, that's a, a virtuous uh, personality trait to have. But also, if we're looking at him through the lens of history, which is political, he just does whatever he's told. That's the comedic conceit huh? of Forrest yeah. Gump. He does what he's told. He's a good American boy. That's he why that drill sergeant joke is so yeah. funny. He goes to the military, does what he's told, comes out a war hero. He uh, he become he invests in Apple because he's do he does what he's told, and then you know he becomes a millionaire because of it. He plays the stock market, and all he does all of these things because he's told he has to do them, and he lives the best life of anyone in the movie. It's it's a 
part of what reinforces, I think, this film is sort of a myth of the American ideal is that individualism, the film's about individualism, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Forrest Gump doesn't come back from Vietnam and start, like, a support group for the veterans. He doesn't use any of his money. What he uses his money to do is build a church or to rebuild a church and to, or, like... Or to rebuild a hospital. Yeah, and, and like, to do those. But but the way that our injured veteran and uh, Lieutenant Dan is able to sort of rise back to a new social status is through... Uh, well, he doesn't have any bootstraps to pick himself up by, nor he doesn't have any legs. <laughs> But he, yes. he, he nonetheless, the solution to being dispossessed by your government is to just work harder. Is basically what the film is saying. I Go think. out mm -hmm. into the storm, shake fist at God, and then come out triumphant. Well, also, notably right. about about the, the shrimp boat thing, it is heavily implied in the film. I didn't catch this at any other time that I watched it, but heavily implied that Forrest prayed to God and God smote down all the other fishing boats and left theirs alone. Yeah. And that's how they became so successful. Oh, yeah. Cause it was like, oh, it was the hurricane reference. They named, it was like, I, I don't even, I don't remember. Hurricane Grace, I think. No. Uh, there was a, Damn. they used real I, footage. I thought I was right. Uh, they Something used like that. Real footage name. from Hurricane Hugo in 1989. Mm, okay. I, at, at that point, I was like, oh. Of course, that's the, after the, the the film, but that's the footage they used for the hurricane. They mm -hmm. used like real news, real footage, and stills and stuff like oh, that. Oh, I'm thinking of The Perfect Storm, which I watched last week. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, and, I, and I just think that, to Tanner's point also, there is, a, there is an inherent politicization of choosing which elements of history to depict mm -hmm. and and choosing to visit the black panthers for a couple minutes of screen time so and then get kicked out and they're right. they are screaming jerks at forrest gump who kick them out immediately after and take the side of the of jenny's abuser instead of forrest and jenny yeah i i just i think that there's something deeper to what the film is saying because ultimately Tanner, you see, summed it up quite aptly in that history is political, in that what we learn in history is political in its omissions. And what this yeah. film chooses to depict is very much what we learn about. That nobody's going to watch this film and get a new revelation about like, their understanding I, of American history. I didn't history. know Kennedy was shot. Yeah, well, funny enough, Abram, you mentioned that. When, when I say I watch it in sophomore year of high school, it was in a social studies class, learning right. about mid to late 20th century history. And this is the film that embodies that in the modern American mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I kind of, you. I want to revisit your point about the individualism. I just like the, the thought of, if as Forrest is our, Amer our, our upstanding individual American folk hero, he literally goes to China and does battle with, because at this point, you know, 1994, right? right? 94, we can't really... It, they could put in battling the Soviets, but and by 90, 94, it doesn't matter anymore. So sure. having having China, is it actually maybe makes the film ring even more towards these, like, jingoistic current values in which our current um, national security, international security policy towards China is not super favorable, um, and maybe even less so than it was back then. I just find this like reading of um, Gump as like a as a hyper individual in <clears throat> going and battling with China and he comes out victorious. I think I don't know if the film really showed how that ended, but 
Uh, no, Lyndon there. B. Johnson got shot. That's how it got ended. No, it, didn't. <laughs> no, it ends with him returning home to a lot of uh, oh, brand a lot of money. Deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I don't want to make this all political grandstanding. I do want to talk about the the more simple content of the film because, as I mentioned, I think there are you know multiple sort of uh, intentions in this film, and I think there is an aspect of it. And the I did some research about the book, the original book, Forrest Gump. Um, and it is like meant to be this like dark satire of this time where it's this dumb guy who in the book is like a jerk. Like he's just an asshole is Forrest Gump's character, which is real like horribly racist, misogynist, oh, to all these things. Just a fucking dick. Uh, wow. And, How does that to, change his relationship with Bubba? Bubba's a white guy in the book, actually. Oh, perfect. Yeah. That's great. Um, so there was a lot of a lot of adaptation done by Eric Roth here. Mm-hmm. But yes. Um, it is a dark satire of this guy who just like bumbles his way through history and ends up being very successful despite his moral failings and intellectual failings. Hmm. Um, well, not not intellectual failings, rather, but intellectual um, disadvantage. Short, no disadvantages. I will say. <laughs> okay, I don't know what the right word to use is. Sorry. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, because I do want to. I do want to talk about like. This, the the sections of this film that we have. I think a good place to start is Vietnam. I think that's probably the most memorable part of this film. That's what a lot of people think about when they think Forrest Gump. They think the Vietnam sequences. Mm. Yeah. I mean, when it opened, I was I, I the film had put me in a comedic mindset. So it opens and we're playing um Fortunate Son. Fortunate yep. Son and I just go, Oh hell yeah, Vietnam. It's like a Pavlovian <laughs> response. Like Yep, exactly. Yeah, what's interesting about the Vietnam sequence is you say it's the most memorable, but for me, I completely disagree because yeah. to me, it feels the most standard. I've mm. seen a number of Vietnam War films, and this does almost everything that uh, any war film does. Of of sending them through boot camp, they're training, they're not used to things, and they're then they're sort of jaded, and they're in the forest, and then there's napalm, and then they gotta save the guys, and then it's over. And so, for me, while I like the interactions that um, Forrest and Bubba have, I think that their dynamic is phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Um, and being introduced to Lieutenant Dan, who's a character that I find really interesting. I like those elements and the way that it plays into the the culture of the time, having him be a a war hero and, and um, playing up that he is a really good guy and going and saving people. I don't find that sequence to be particularly memorable because it is the one that I think reframes history the least. And to me, that is what makes Forrest Gump as a story, as a film, the most compelling is seeing him placed into these moments that he has this ridiculous influence over literally everyone and everything. But he is a- another one of the soldiers in that moment. Um, and it's where he's the least individualistic because he's a part of the military machine. Uh, and so I I, I, I don't know. I just, I just don't, I don't, like that part of the film as much mm. as I do the rest of it. I'm not saying that like, I think it's the most memorable, but like when I think, I guess technically I do because when I think <laughs> Forrest Gump, I think like, oh yeah, when that's what I associate the fortunate son Vietnam thing with is with this film Forrest Gump. Yeah. Um, and I think about, you know, him going to get Bubba and Bubba dying and being introduced to Lieutenant Dan and Lieutenant Dan ice cream, something bit me. All that <laughs> stuff is in the Vietnam section. Yeah. Towards the end of it. Yeah. This again comes back to where I draw my distinction with the praise of the film script between its its character writing and basically everything else. Because I think part of why I end up sort of fixating on trying to determine the film's position politically is because I don't think that on a plot level it's actually even that interesting because 
Forrest Gump, and I think Vietnam is one of the most extreme examples of it, never is really challenged or confronted or forced to change or learn mm -hmm. or do anything. Because even in the case of Vietnam, he's basically untouchable. And while he does get shot, he gets shot yeah. in the ass to where it seemingly never really bothers him and only serves to sort of like glorify the like the honor of being wounded in battle for your country. It's a million dollar wound, but he never saw right. a nickel of that money. Yeah, and, and I, it's funny. It's a, it's a good yeah, it's a good line, but I think to me that's why the conceit of Forrest Gump remains compelling on the level of conceit. Because these historical moments become an opportunity for a joke and basically nothing else. What the reason Vietnam is even elevated a little bit above like Watergate, where it literally is just a joke, mm -hmm. is because at least we get the character of Lieutenant Dan. I keep wanting to say Sergeant Dan because I'm a big no. fan of that cod banter. <laughs> I, I, I like at least we get a character out of that that follows us through the narrative. Otherwise, I think that they're just these really breezy vignettes wherein things happen to Forrest, but nothing that lasts. Mm. Yeah. And, and I just don't find that satisfying on a basic character plot conflict level. Yeah, I I should agree with you, but I simply do not. And that is exactly why I think I come out of this film so much higher on it than you guys is because I find that subversion of traditional storytelling uh, momentum and character momentum to be incredibly compelling. And the idea of a character that is not forced to confront their own identity or their struggles or whatever across a film i find really interesting it's something that we talked about um quite a bit with kei kwan's character and everything ever all at once um which is part of the reason why i love that character so much and part of the reason why i love forrest so much um is he does feel very distinct as as a protagonist and it makes the film feel very distinct because of that yes you're right it's mostly vignettes it's mostly breezy but i do think that what this film does is leave impact on its periphery is each of the characters that are not Forrest are heavily impacted by his actions, the way that his mom reacts to things, the way that Jenny is shaped by him coming in and out of her life, the way that he changes um, Lieutenant Dan's entire life in multiple ways. I find those to be the impact, but that's still not what compels me most about it. this film. It is that it's able to have a genuinely compelling and earnest character that I really want to root for and care about. And I could see... I could see 10 hours of Forrest Gump and, and leave with a smile on my face. But is that it is, I think that pacing is what makes this film so compelling to me is it's very fast. Is we're going in and out of sequences, we're cutting back out to the bench, we're putting it back in. And I never feel like there's a moment to breathe, but in a really good way. Like I'm sucked in to this narrative. I want to, I want, I'm that person on the bench next to him. I can't wait to hear what antics he gets up to next. And that makes this film so engrossing and endearing and fascinating to me because i love comedies i love things that reframe things in interesting ways and put a smile on my face and feel very clever and forrest gump is not particularly clever because it's like historical moment forrest gump here but that's i still find that incredibly hilarious and even if the sequences are just setups for punchlines i think the fact that this movie has such a great balance between lifting you up with a comedic beat at just the right time and then slamming you down with a really heartfelt sequence between him and his mother or him and Jenny or whatever it is or or going to war or someone dying. Like so many tragic things happen to this. But it still is able to bring you back up with a smile because ostensibly everything is played for a joke. And I really 
love that. And a film that can balance those tones as masterfully as Robert Demeck does here with Forrest Gump is, is rare. And it's what makes this the ultimate Tom Hanks role because he's such a great comedic actor, but he's also a great uh, dramatic actor. And he gets to play both of those in this in this movie. Mm-hmm. Tucker, I, I must agree that it is. Oh, Timo, actually, go ahead. My mistake. What I was going to say is that I struggle to slot this movie into like a three-act three structure. And it doesn't really... 20-act bo- structure? I, yeah, it doesn't bother me like a ton that it doesn't, it doesn't fit our stereotypical and normatized film plot outline and so the even though like at times i'm like oh okay well all right moving on to the next plot point like it is sufficiently inventive and our characters and our dialogue is so good so consistently that i'm still engaged with the film because i'm like oh what kind of wacky thing is forrest gonna say next or like how is he gonna get out of this next situation like yeah. The and moment... even when the scenes end abruptly, it's because Forrest stopped telling the story. And he's like, that's all I have to say about that. And that's part of his personality and his character tra- traits that makes even the scenes that are like, mm-hmm. no, screw you. We're moving and on to the next thing. Incredibly compelling. He's he he's an honest person, but I would not say he's the most reliable narrator at all times because he at many points he goes, and for no particular reason, I went and did it. And like, no. The editing, Zemeckis's filmmaking is showing us the reason for why he's doing this, but Forrest himself as a character, like, doesn't want to admit it, usually. And so sure. I like that the that that's something that I think Zemeckis is particularly good at is the the filmmaking can go just smooth and not really calling a lot of attention to itself, but then in these key moments where it needs to tell you information, it is effectively communicating it through editing and framing, basically. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's well done. It's hard. It's hard to do that, and hard to be on like straddle the line of like, okay, when are we going to be very subtle and not very flashy with our camera work, and then when are we going to have like a big important shot or like these cuts that let us know that Forrest is thinking of Jenny in this moment or something mm-hmm. like that. It happens at least a couple times throughout the film. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, if we're talking about how this film maneuvers its comedy and its uh, dramatic beats, um, that's why I still enjoy Forrest Gump for all of the confusing thematic and political points it raises, is that I have a smile on my face when I'm watching Forrest Gump. I can't Mm -hmm. help it. I mean, it it is just... The lovable performance from Forrest Gump, the uh, the the script here from Eric Roth, and how he has all of these mannerisms, and as you mentioned, Timo, the glimpses of moments where it seems like it might be doing some might be doing something satirical, as the book does, where it's like, and for no particular reason, someone went up and shot that man. I guess he must have made people so angry funny. or something. <laughs> so funny. Um, but you know, he doesn't have an answer for any of those any of those like potentially satirical moments. So ultimately, Forrest Gump is a oppressively simple film. In, in, in I think in that in that sense, because it is just comedic beats essentially and dramatic beats. Mm-hmm. Um, it, with without really anything deeper to back them up, as we talked about. Because when you try to get into those deeper things, it's Ooh, questionable. Let's Muddy. Say. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about the relationship between Jenny and Forrest. Okay. Um, because I get what you guys are saying completely, and that's why I still probably hold a just like a vaguely positive opinion on the film overall because it is compelling. But I think it ends up feeling like you're looking through, as you can see my metaphor from the beginning, like your grandparents' scrapbook of things they remember. Because we're going to these vignettes, but when you look back at photos, 
you're really taking photos of like the like the personal strife you had. You're you're looking back with this sort of rosy, nostalgic, here's what happened. And even in the in the darker moments of the narrative, we never really sit with them. We, to your point, Tucker, we're always moving along. And I think the relationship with Jenny is a really interesting example of why on like an entertainment level it works because we're always skipping to beat to beat. But when I want something a little bit more out of the characters or a little bit more meaning from the narrative, it ends up leaving me wanting because I think that the relationship between Jenny and Forrest is so complicated and imbalanced in in terms of the the in terms of basically every facet of these two people. They live such different lives and in various respects they hold such immense power over each other. But it's never really explored. We just see these moments that leave me wanting to understand them more because they are the through line through the narrative. Yeah. Ultimately, if I had to classify Forrest Gump in any way, I would say this is a romance. Mm-hmm. IMDb um, yeah. listed as drama and then romance. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we find out that Forrest has been writing letters every day to Vietnam and then he gets the whole stack back. None of them even reach Jenny. But that doesn't go anywhere. He just, here's a stack of letters, next moment. There's the weird sexual encounter they have that ends up being a funny pull away to the roommate on the other bed. But that's where that ends. There's this whole thing about them having a child together that ends up just getting taken for granted. I think my bigger issue here is I end up caring about Jenny and I care about Forrest, but it's like the narrative doesn't even really want me to care because I can't get in and and figure out their relationship with them. Because I don't think that this is a clean cut just girl next door love story. It's so much more than that. And she's so much more flawed. And there's all this gross stuff in her her history. And she can't open up to him. But then she dies off screen. And they have a couple saccharine moments together. But it's all just so... It's all so photo booky. It's here's a memory of of Jenny. And then we just move. And I just... I, I wish... For a film that's two and a half hours long, I wish we could dig we could dig that hook in mm, and just yeah. and just sit with something a little bit longer, I guess. Yeah. I, I, mean, I don't really feel like we see what makes the relationship tick, you know, besides them knowing each other for a long time. Well, I think that it's the bond that they had as children that carries forth through their whole life and the fact that from that level and the fact that they were such good friends as children and neither of them have had any sustained relationships for the rest of their life they feel kindred connection to one another like no one else has ever understood Forrest like Jenny does and no one else has ever understood Jenny like like Forrest does and and felt that genuine connection for each other and I think the reason why I still find that romance incredibly compelling even though it's not my favorite aspect of the film is is because the reason I don't take issue with the scrapbooking nature of it though I think that's an incredibly apt description is because this film is framed through the mindset of Forrest Gump, a man who does not have the mental intellect to reflect on social dynamics basically at all. Obviously, he doesn't understand that's a constant throughout the film. But because the film is framed through his stories, I think it would feel incredibly out of place to try to get a scene that really digs into their dynamic on like a sexual level or social level or whatever. This is his memories, how he remembers these things. The film is a photo book. It is presented as such through the lens of a guy who doesn't have the intellectual ca- uh, capability to do genuine reflection on these things, which is why I don't take issue with it. It feels 
it feels very intentional that these moments are presented as complex and and nuanced and darkly they have, have dark histories to all of them i mean she was abused as a child and and uh, has had terrible relationships throughout her life and Forrest has these elements too of of being bullied and mistreated and all of that Forrest gump has as a person looks back at them as things that happened but not things that have deeply like richly impacted him emotionally so looking back on them and not getting that feels completely in tone with the film I mean, well, to just respond to that quickly, Tanner. Yeah, I, I, I don't, ag- I don't think I agree because I think the moment when the relationship rings the truest is when the film demonstrates that Forrest does have this depth within him, and I think it's the moment when he brings Jenny her breakfast as as she's dying, and he talks about the beauty of the American landscape because, of course, he does. But he's ex- he's expressing it through this uh, prism of of experiencing a longing for Jenny, which he openly speaks about, but also a a feeling that she was still there. Just because Forrest doesn't necessarily like, like wax on about the nuances of his emotional state doesn't mean that he doesn't clearly express it. And I'm not really looking for like a like, like a marriage story sequence. It, it's <laughs> it, it's more that like we we see that Forrest has the capacity for, for these emotions, but they're in asides. Yeah. I mean, per his own admission at an earlier point in the film, he may not be a smart man, but he knows what love is. Mm -hmm. Um, And and even though I I, I more err on the side of, yeah, but the the romance could have been more fleshed out, I think there are moments where that emotional understanding that Forrest has, because I do think he has it, uh, that's what, like, makes him such a, a deeply emotionally compelling character. I just don't think Are he can there... explain it. I think he's capable of having it. I just don't think he can explain those feelings that he's having. Sure. Um, but he may, he may not be able to put them in words because Forrest Gump is not a man of words. He's a man of actions. And one particular action that sticks with me, and I, I think it's a really, really good moment, is at the end, after Jenny dies, he has her old house bulldozed, like, flattened to the ground, as he says, because he, he knows that is like a essentially a monument to the roots of her like uh, emotional okay. trauma. Yeah. Um, and so I think that 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 there is a great moment. Of course, it comes unfortunately after Jenny dies, so we don't get that kin that kindred that uh, kinship between them. Um, but I think it is still a moment of that relationship that I really enjoy. Perhaps the best moment of their relationship, I would say. Um, but anyway, I don't know if there. I I wanted. To, I have some trivia about uh, other historical moments. Yeah, uh, and what, and what about the winds and the noms? Oh, the winds and the noms. Of course, of oh course. Oh my god. Course. Okay, well, I, I, I want to go through the historical moments first okay. because I think, you know, if we have, you know, favorite moments, favorite jokes that we want to talk about because that's basically how the film is broken up. Um, but let's see, let's see, let's see. Oh, starting all the way early, um, Kurt Russell does the voice of Elvis Presley in this oh. film. <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Um, I do love that he gives Elvis his dance, mm-hmm. and of course, yeah. this this has a, a brand new meaning here in 2023 after yeah. we've done a quest episode on 2022's Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, starring Tom Hanks. Jeez, what? That's true. It, it needs to be said every single time anyone talks about Tom Hanks' role in that movie. Of course, of course. Uh, let's see, let's see, let's see. I I just love that he meets. I love the moment where he talks about how he met. I met the president again went to the white house again 
um when he tells jfk he has to pee when he moons lbj mm-hmm. i love all those i just love those no, presidential the, the, moments because the they are a, funny and the the the, the vfx is remark is remarkably well done yes it's very tasteful for the time yep well for I'm, the time the, the, the mouth because... movement is pretty wonky let's not it's let's not beat it on the bush especially on nixon i mean yeah nixon's could, weird could the ai generators these days do much better i don't really think so so yeah good point and they it, only it is, it's only yeah. like a shot we get a shot of the two the, of of uh you know forest and a president and then it's forest in the white house but the president isn't there and then it's a the next time around it's a shot of forest and the president um the the mooning lyndon b johnson's funny um i think it's funnier when you know that like lyndon b johnson loved that kind of humor he loved yeah, dirty no, potty exactly. humor that's funny and it's yeah. like you know that that's just kind of his deal so I, oh, I when he finds funny. the signed picture of Marilyn Monroe in the in JFK in the White House bathroom, <laughs> come on. Yeah, my my, my favorite moments come mostly later in the film when I think that the film is like reaching its its fastest and also most filled with like messing with you a little bit. Like when he decides to run. Of course, and we didn't even run. talk about the running. So thank no. you for bringing that up. I, the running sequence is probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, and, and then he reaches the coast, and you're like, "All right, good. He did it. He did it. this. Is awesome. Good job, Forrest Gump." He's like, eh, "I'm I'm not done yet. I'm gonna there turn you. around, keep going." Mm-hmm. And then he does that like four times. Every time, I think it's funny. The last thing, the comedic timing, especially of his delivery, is so excellent in those moments. And then the punchline of, I think. I'm, I think I'm tired now. I think I'm gonna go home. Um, that is such, it is such a now. ridiculously drawn out punchline that takes like five minutes to set up, but it's so satisfying. Well, what are we supposed to do now? Yeah, and he becomes like a Jesus figure. It's in a, a sort of like Life of Brian. Oh my yeah. god. Okay. Um, here's one. Also, part. Bubba, the, the the Bubba listing all the different kinds the, of yeah. shrimp. Oh, and that the is, cocktail oh shrimp burger. That's <laughs> That's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, God, so funny. Just I, I love the moment where it's like, all right, we're in the seventies, we're in New York. It's Lieutenant Dan and Forrest, and we the Moonlight Cowboy music starts playing, and they yes, even go yes. and they have Lieutenant Dan slam the hood of the taxi and go, "I'm walking here," and you're like, mm-hmm. you're like "Fuck yeah!" Because just no, a he direct isn't. <laughs> homage to that to that scene, same song, and, same line, and it must have been right around that part of the movie where I was like, "All right, this is the this is the Marvel." Marvel for boomers or but I was like, the, okay, but it's mid, most... it's referencing Midnight Cowboy. I mean, that's like way better than like a yeah. like a early 2000s Spider-Man reference. I'll be real with you. <laughs> the most on the nose one for me that like got a vocal reaction from me because of, I've seen this film a number of times and didn't get it until now is when he's on the talk show with John Lennon yeah. <laughs> and they say the lyrics from Imagine. That's my favorite bit in the and movie. And John Lennon says, well, it's easy if you try, Dick. I'm like, <laughs> shut the fuck up, Robert Zemeckis. I'm going to choke you out, goddamn Bob- Bobby Z. That's it's so stupid. I love it. <laughs> I love that sequence. And it is it is so emblematic of what that song has become. Like when you think about the COVID Imagine yes. cover, like it's it's perfect. That That's definitely my favorite comedic bit of the film. Oh, well, there's actually one moment that made me okay. like laugh out loud for like a minute straight is when he finds out that his mom is sick and then he yes. stands up, turns around and dives straight into the water. And, <laughs> yeah. and I thought that was the fu- that and the Watergate moment are like my two like hardest laughs in this film. It is so perfectly comedically timed in terms of how he stands up, turns around, n- like no motion whatsoever, 
right into the water mm-hmm. and then it's just immediately like on shore i the the comedic timing of Forrest Gump, I think, is is yes. what sells this film so much to me. Is because I think it really knows what what to do with setups and payoffs in terms of lots of the historical moments that he's impacting, the lives of people that he's meeting, the world changing events that he's influencing. All of these moments are played for laughs in the moment, but almost all of them also set up something for later on when he returns home or he's talking to jenny again or it's the it's the he runs out of the stadium and then 10 minutes later it's he's running and then they have they turn the thing and it's a stop Mm -hmm. all of that i think makes the film feel very cohesive even though it's chunked up into scrapbook bits there is a sense of history and place and that things domino effect into one another even though he is just a feather in the wind there is like comedic writing wise setups and payoffs that i think are absolutely masterful Mm -hmm. um one not a comedy moment but a thematic moment because there obviously is um this symbolic connection between jenny and birds we get it we get it introduced introduced to it early on when she has she and first she and forrest go to kneel in the cornfield and she prays to god make me like a bird so I can fly far, far away. Um, it comes back around, uh, and I only remember because it, it plays probably the greatest rock song of all time, Free Bird by Leonard Skinner. Um, she It plays the song Free Bird. Obviously I'm, I'm sorry, bird I'm sorry, officer. For when when free when the Freebird solo is playing, the rules of the road do not yeah, apply. There are no laws <laughs> when the, when the Freebird solo is playing. But obviously it's playing and she's like getting up on the balcony to like commit suicide by jumping off the top of a building. Um, That's just like a, a singular contained thematic moment that I remember and always do, mostly because of Freebird is playing. Anyway. Because this movie, trivia, so many classic so many music drops, drops so that many you're just like, drops. yeah, this is the song of the decade from 1970s. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll try to do a, a trivia of lightning round here. So, running scenes. Let's talk about that up. The running scenes were shot in secrecy without the studio's knowledge, largely because uh, this is a thing throughout the trivia, but the studio wanted to make this on like $10 million or something like something insane that was like way too small for this movie. So, and Robert Zemeckis just had to continually be like, no, what about this sequence? And they're like, we don't want to make, we don't want to give you the money for that. And so he like kind of did it and they're like, okay, here's the money for it. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the, those those sequences were shot in secrecy, and Tom Hanks's younger brother Jim Hanks doubled for him in many of them. According to Jim, quote, Tom had other doubles, but they couldn't do the run. That's a stupid Hanks thing. The studio eventually found out, but when they saw the raw footage, they relented. Out of the, the only scene at the only the scene at Monument Valley was missing because that they did run out of money for it, and since the studio refused to pay for it, Tom Hanks and Robert Zemeckis paid for it themselves. Wow. Uh, yes. Um, let's see. Oh, quick thing, quick neat thing about the trivia or about the ping pong sequences. Um, when Forrest learns to, to play ping pong, obviously he gets told never take your eye off the ball. And every ping pong playing sequence after that, Tom Hanks does not blink. Huh. Ooh. <laughs> nice yeah. detail. Nice detail. Nice, yeah. Um, now I do have some, oh, a, a quick thing. They use like 1500 extras for the Washington DC, uh, scene and then like digitally copied them and had the extras like move around between takes so they could vary it each time and mm-hmm. each of the takes. So yeah, nice little production notes there. I figured but, they used some early CGI and VFX for this that do well. Yeah, absolutely. For the most part, mm-hmm. the feather, well. the feather, yeah. The feather's uh, not the real. Feather, but well, the other is also not. Uh, I I skimmed past this because I didn't find it in, in, instantly interesting. But apparently, it's not all CGI. 
they it's somehow practical sometimes, but it's also CGI. But anyway, great special well, effects. Yeah, Forrest Gump, the book. I have trivia about, and its sequel, Gump and Co. Gump because and it, Co. It, because it's very interesting. The story behind the adaptation, uh, how they screwed over the author uh, with the sequel in mind. So I'll try to do all of this. Following the success of the film, following the success of the film, Winston Groom, the author of the original Forrest Gump novel, wrote a sequel called Gump and Co. in 1995, which referenced the movie as if it had been released in Forrest's world. He mentions that the movie was an accurate telling of his life and even meets Tom Hanks. So that's just a little background on the novel. Okay. Also in the original, I, I mentioned some things about the original novel, but Tucker, because because you mentioned it while we were watching the movie, he does become an astronaut in the book. And because Tucker, they, they saw the moon landing on TV and Tucker's like, I wish he went to space. <laughs> that would have been so good. If he had been the first man on the moon, that would have, that would have yeah. put um, five stars for me. Okay, so. Winston Groom agreed on a deal uh, for the adaptation of this film for a 3% share of the film's net profits. However, he never received the money from this source. Never saw a dime. Exactly. Even though the film turned turned in more than $350 million in revenue, the studio employed some classic Hollywood accounting uh, and said that it actually never made any money, so they didn't have to pay Winston Groom. Um, But what they did do to appease him after he tried to sue them over that is say, hey, buddy, listen, We'll buy the rights to Gump and Co. and make a sequel out of it, and then you'll get a share of those profits. Uh, and of course, we, as we all know, the the sequel Gump and Co., the sequel to the film Forrest Gump, made millions of dollars, right? Yeah, I've seen it many times. Many, many times. Well, actually, no, Timo, that's a dead lie because they never made it. Tom Hanks adamantly refused to work in any sequel, but changed his mind after the film Toy Story 2 came out in 1999. After that, he sort of broke his rule there. He sort of relented, and they started working on the script for a sequel, a film sequel to Forrest Gump. Eric Roth came back and began trying to adapt Gump and Co. However, he started adapting this in the year 2001. Can anyone think of any major historical moments that might dissuade them from making a movie in which the main character is uh, p- present for every historical moment in American history that happened in 2001? Oh, no. <laughs> After the 9-11 attacks, uh, they decided that they would not be appropriate to make any, any film, and it has been stuck in quote-unquote development hell ever since. The original no author- on this movie. Yeah, exactly. With the original author, Winston Groom, who was told that he would receive profits from this film, died in 2020. Ooh. Oh, well, yeah. never saw a nickel of that money. Well, I no, mean, we who not. knows? Who knows? Maybe we'll get Gump and Co. where Forrest is at the, the COVID lab. He goes back to China for another <laughs> ping pong tournament. He's not over a vial in Wuhan. Oh, no. Oh, oh anyway. God. I guess the, yeah, technically it's he hard wouldn't, to think he wouldn't about... because he doesn't cause anything bad in history. No. That's true. I mean he wouldn't be like No, but how funny would it be? A terrorist. He was actually he was actually the head of Operation Warp Speed. Uh oh. <laughs> it's just funny to think about if they, there they... was a twenty like a two thousands gump movie, what things would he be involved in and how many of them would paint him in a positive voice? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um anyway. Quick ones. Oh, unless sorry, Timo, were you gonna say something there? No. Okay. No. Quick ones and noms here. It won best picture. That's why we're talking about it here today. 
Tom Hanks won Best Actor. Robert Zemeckis won Best Director. It won Best Adapted Screenplay for Eric Roth. Best Editing, as we've praised multiple times for the comedic timing and, you know, just stitching together 40 years of history here. Uh, Best Visual Effects, as we've also named many times. It was also the first Best Picture winner to win VFX, which has only been done three times afterwards. Anyone want to take any stabs at it? Lord of the Rings. People in the comments, play along. Lord of the Rings. Cody did not win Best Visual Effects. (laughs) Gladiator. Gladiator, that's two. Ooh. And one very... So the oh, oh, one, uh, Hurt Locker? No, the one immediately, or not the one immediately after, but one very soon after... The King's Speech? Forrest Gump. Not the King's Speech. What? <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about Forrest after Gump. the Hurt Locker, not Forrest Gump. Mm-hmm. A 90s Best Picture oh, winner. Titanic. Which is Titanic, exactly. Oh, of course. Yeah, of yes. course. Well, it has not been done since Return of the King, which is very interesting. Hmm. But anyway, it was nominated in... Best Actor in a Supporting Role for Gary Sinise, who's very good in this film. Best Cinematography, Best Production Design, or as it was called back then, Best Art Direction. Best Sound, Best Sound Editing, Best Makeup, and Best Original Score for Alan Silvestri, who also did the the Super Mario Bros. score the year before. I'll just, I I don't really have like a ton to say about sound because I don't think it adds a ton to the meaning of the movie, but I think it's very well done. And the war sequences have great, you know, the little like Vietnam bullets flying past sound, so. I compliment the film on its sound. I thought it had very good, a very good soundtrack all throughout, both music yes. and I, effects. I think what's so good about the production of this film in terms of its its filmmaking qualities, the sound, the cinematography, the editing, all of that, is it, it toes a really good line between being very noticeable in terms of having songs played certain times, having mm-hmm. the editing being very comedically driven, um, but and there being some really great shots of like him uh, a, a playing ping pong with a giant like Chinese stadium in the background. I'm a big sucker for the uh, Western America landscapes when yeah, he's running through shots. Monument Valley and stuff like that. I'm like, God damn, that's beautiful. Or when he's on each, any of the coasts, it's all great. Yeah. Yeah, My favorite think... shot was the one from Maine. <laughs> oh, that's oh, so true. nice. He does go to Maine, doesn't he? Does he does go to Maine. But I also do think that it... it keeps itself subtle enough to mm-hmm. enrapture you in just the performance and the dialogue for the vast majority of it. It's very uh, relatively simple shots, very light camera movement in most in most sequences. And I think that it's the it, it's a great example of like high budget filmmaking that is relatively subdued. And I, I really do respect it for not going balls to the walls crazy with the with the with the cinematography that they're editing and stuff, because I think that it portrays Forrest as simple as it can. Uh, and I think it really works well because of that. Yeah, there is a, there is a moment of like camera movement, Tucker. As, as you mentioned, it's like, it doesn't draw a lot of attention to itself. And when there is like a large camera movement, I'm like, whoa, I didn't notice the camera moving until just now. It's when Lieutenant Dan, like he's sleeping in the, the infirmary in Vietnam and his hand like comes up from behind and like drags him down. The camera starts up on top of the bed and like swings down here and then goes all the way around the opposite side of the bed. And like, we're looking underneath the bed to their, to their conversation. Like yeah, it, it, it's not. very cool camera movement and stuff like that. So yeah, um, it's not something you think about when you think about Forrest Gump, but worth a nom, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Should we give this thing a score? Abram, do you want to say anything? You want to punch in a number? My number's already punched. Oh, all right. Yeah. Oh, man. Punch that fucking number, white boy. All right, I punched my number. Okay, thank you, white boy. Yeah, I got mine. Anytime. In three, two, one. And three of us are in agreement, and one of us is way outside the, the norm. 
we gave this film a 7.3. So let's see. We're going to have to do some debating here. Um, mm -hmm. But the point breakdown is starting from the bottom. Abram gave it a 6.2. I gave it a 6.7. Tanner gave it a 6.8. And Tucker gave it a 9.5. So those average to a 7.3. We're going to be looking at the 59th uh, or sorry. And the, 58th. The 59th and the 58th spot, which is... The Last Emperor and The Deer Hunter. So a, a movie about China and a movie about Vietnam, of which Forrest Gump <laughs> has both. That's true. Oh, oh my oh, God. Shit. So we start with Last Emperor. We do I start with Forrest Gump above Last Emperor pretty handily. You um, haven't seen Last was, Emperor. <laughs> no, I wasn't oh. on that episode. Oh. I had a panic. I know I've seen oh, it. Oh, sorry. No, yeah, no. The, the yeah. joke is the joke used to be that it was the line for boring. Yes. Yeah. The boring line. Yeah. My oh, bad. Yeah. I thought it was a line um, for you hadn't seen it. To be fair, though, to be clear, I have seen The Last Emperor. Yeah. Um, and even though I don't remember a whole lot about it, um, I think it's more. Uh, what does everyone else think? Gump above, easily. Gump, Gump without, above. Without fucking second thought. I'll put Gump above. I think it's cultural relevance probably this gate garners it that spot um yeah. given that much more people remember much more about forrest gump than they do about bertolucci's three hour uh, bernardo bertolucci never made back to the future though i'd love to see him try <laughs> <laughs> he never made what lies beneath that's true he did he never made another time hanging somebody with the robot that went to apple tv either no, that was mentioned that was not zemeckis yeah it was it shows up on his uh, his page it is him he might not be a producer on it Oh, well, oh, wow. anyway, point stands. He didn't make it. The deer hunter. The deer hunter. Well, no, no shot. I'm playing deer hunter above. Yeah, no shot. Forrest Gump goes above. I, <laughs> I'm going to put the deer hunter above. I do really remember the depiction of Vietnam as being much more harrowing, much closer towards what I imagine reality to be like. Um, and uh, is it? I don't know though. I thought the Deer Hunter was kind of long and kind of like didn't go a whole lot of places, but it had interesting stuff to say about Vietnam. But this film, mm. Forrest Gump, has a lot of stuff that it's it, it, well, it says a lot, but I don't like what it says as much as I like. The Deer what, Hunter also says a lot. To be clear, it's more focused on the Vietnam War, of course. But I but like I think what the Deer Hunter says a little yeah, more. I it's think. also more focused in what it says. I think yeah. it, it, it's much. It's a much stronger film thematically and politically and historically. So I'm gonna go with uh, Deer Hunter above Forrest Gump. My, my scores are also close to these films with Deer Hunter edging it out slightly. But when I think back on Deer Hunter, I'm able to so clearly close my eyes and see those roulette sequences again. I can I, see that I red think, bandana still. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think that the iconography and emotional charges and performances of the deer hunter are so compelling that they elevate it above what Forrest Gump is trying to do. Because I think that yeah. they, that's a narrative with a little bit more tooth to it than what Forrest Gump has. Yeah. I think that's what, what I'm going to end up doing as well. I mean, Here's the thing. Here's what I'll underline with our discussion on Forrest Gump before we nail down a placement, even though we just kind of revealed where it's going to be placed. <laughs> it is, of course, as we open this discussion with, probably the most iconic American film. I would say, is that, is that far off base? A little I bit, maybe. I say it's in the top 15. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. For Americans, an American movie of the ages. 
I mean, it is infinitely... Everyone knows these quotes. Everyone knows Tom Hanks as Forrest Gump. Everyone has... I assumed everyone had seen this movie, but maybe I stand corrected. Um, and maybe it is, like, maybe that's just because of, like, the generational gap is shifting a little bit to where yeah. this is between, not as... Between a, you and Abram. <laughs> yeah, it's not as important, important in the American film-going consciousness as it once was. But I think it had that crown, or at least a crown, for a long time. And that must be recognized. It is an insanely important film when we're talking about American filmmaking and American films of the late 20th century going into the 21st century. Um, but I think, you know, it, it is fair as well to sort of t- turn a critical eye to it because it is so iconic in our in the American consciousness. We have to question why that is and why it has the reputation it has. Uh, maybe digging a bit more past, like, we all know the box of chocolates line and why Americans are drawn to its narrative so much. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's no skin off anyone's back, but obviously I would, I would put uh Forrest Gump fucking 20 stories above the deer hunter. Not because I think the deer hunter is a bad movie, but mm-hmm. to me uh, presenting uh, the traumas of war um, with some great actors is what the Oscars do a lot and they've done it a lot across all history uh and we even got it last year with with uh, all quiet in the western front which is another great movie but i don't think there's another movie like forrest gump and to me creativity and distinctiveness and memorability is off the charts with a film that feels as distinct as as distinct from the pacing and concept perspective as forrest gump and i think iconography wise you have a red bandana and a roulette gun but that i think that's Gump is head and shoulders above uh, above what the Deer Hunter does in, in in almost any category, and I obviously don't weigh the political disagreements that I do have with the themes of the movie as heavily as you guys do. Though I think they were obviously the meat of the discussion here, very important to talk about. Uh, but I think that as a as a representation of the populace for the time, this film feels so out of left field as a best picture winner i mean th- th- this is like a end game winning in 2019 which of course it didn't but in-, in terms of representing the culture of the time and what everyone was really into and was making a lot of money that is that sometimes happens but forrest gump feels a lot more family oriented and and um geared towards a larger population than mo- almost any of the other movies we have on this list and to me that makes it feel like a really important best picture winner, a very distinct best picture winner, and one that to me redefines what a best picture winner can be. And those are the ones that I put up at the top as my favorites. It, it feels like out of left field. Interesting that the that the Academy recognized this so highly and and connects to me on a very personal level. Of yeah, film can be something a little more creative, a little more distinct, with a little more juice on its creative bones, which I don't think a lot of best picture winners have. But this is definitely one of those. Well, there you go. That means that our final, the final resting place, not possibly not the final resting place. The list isn't mm-hmm. sorted yet. But for now, the final resting place of Forrest Gump is going to be at spot number 59, right in yep. between The Deer Hunter and The Last Emperor. I I would have added a, a full point to my score if they had played the Zapruder film. Ah, oh, me too. They got close. Uh, they, they got, got close. They, they, had close. That, they, they had that shot of John uh, <laughs> Kennedy sort of like fixing his hair in the in the motorcade. Um, but to be clear, though, uh, I, I don't I don't want to give the impression that 
I rated this film like I did, which I, I still feel that a 6.8 is a, is a very good score, especially as I just recently like reoriented my entire scoring sort of frame on Letterboxd. So 6.8 is, is a very good score, uh, in my mind at least. I, I didn't give it that because I disagreed with the film politically. I think that it's, I, I, I think it, as I mentioned a number of times, it's because I don't think it's very clear. I think it's confused. Hmm. Um, and yeah, of course, if we're, if we're talking about like what films are have, carry the most iconography, Forrest Gump would probably top the list, I think. Of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about quality of film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, shall we uh, shall we spin get our get our legs moving and spin the wheel of uh, the wheel of fate and fortune to see what happens next? On the quest for Suppose. the um, Might as well. I, I, I'm doing a lot of talking, but I'm going to talk a little bit more here. Just Perfect. one last thing. Because we... Can't get enough of it. We are winding down the list here. So I think now, with five films remaining on our list, is the perfect time to throw to the audience and ask. We're, get, we're winding down the quest for the bestest here. And we've discussed a number of times what we should do next. And with only five films left, I need to ask you, the audience, what do you think we should do after the quest for the bestest i will not put off this question any longer okay we do, do, have yet to figure it out want, and we need your help do, do we want to just throw out a couple of the possibilities we've been thinking of so to give people like something to go off of sure yes um Abram, go ahead yeah so what i would like to do next um personally is i would love to go to a uh foreign film body and do a quest for the bestest for their canon be it a foreign awards show that gives their top top you know if we do palm d'Or or something I, I think there's an opportunity to just take this format and apply it to a, a different canon of text mm -hmm. that's kind of what i'm interested in mm -hmm. yeah yeah something along those lines be it can be it venice be it berlin maybe even tokyo international film i mean there's so many yes. canons that we can come up with or that with that south that already exists south by south we could do every every single they don't really have um, like a they don't give awards no, <laughs> they do um, but not really which film premiered in that last slot yeah, yeah. So what, was the, what was the surprise there? <laughs> who wants to uh pitch the bit more audacious idea i think you should i, I should, should. Mm -hmm. okay sure. As I said, the bit more audacious idea that we've had is doing the ultimate quest for the bestest in terms of the Academy Awards. And you might be asking yourself, Tanner, what does that mean? Well, I'm here to tell you. Don't worry about it. It means we would be reviewing in the format as we do right now, every Best Picture nominee that Ever. the Academy has recognized from 1927 up until this current year and going into the future. It is a long project. Um, Tucker, do you, do you have off the top of your head roughly how many films that is? No, but I think what makes this concept so uh, appealing to me and hundreds why and I Hundreds and hundreds of movies, that's all. It, yes, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's easily 600 films. But that is an almost unattainable concept, but I think that's what makes it so compelling to me personally is it's something to work for, and because we've honed our our Oscar watching skills and we've sort of cultivated our Oscars audience so much. Um, I think that that it works as the perfect continuation, especially considering we have already reviewed three years worth of best picture nominees. And those are my, some of my favorite sets 
of of, of film reviews that we've done. Um, and it would give us a, a much greater chance to dive into comparing within years rather than within like a, a 30s movie versus a 90s movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it also would uh, include potentially something that we could do in the Ultimate Quest for the Bestest or outside of that, uh, yeah. an idea that Abram had, the request, where you, the audience, request that we request a film, a Best Picture winner that we've already reviewed. Potentially, uh, maybe one that we've only done a paltry 30 minutes on. Can you believe it? As we, as we used near... to do. Yeah, as we near probably ha- an hour and a half yeah, on... Two hours of Rain Man! 90 minutes. Whoever's um, <laughs> but those are the ideas that we have. Mm-hmm. We welcome any additional ideas, of course, yep. um, because you know we are yet we are we're stopping. We are pea-brained individuals. We are pea-brained individuals, and we are looking for the big brains of the quest-going audience to give us Espe- ideas. And as especially long... because, well, especially because John Tor halfway through this show fundamentally reworked it, and Absolutely. now we revere him as a deity. Yeah, you to could be, all be the, the next quest deity. Yeah, that's true. As long, I'll say my one ask or requirement: as long as I can keep watching movies and talking about them with the backlot crew, I mean, I'm going to be happy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's but, spin the wheel. Let's get. Let's, let's spin the wheel. The question: the ball is in your court, audience. I'll be doing. Oh. We'll, we'll be doing one of these at the end of every episode. Hold but. on. One more caveat. Yes. If this wheel lands on wings, we are re-rolling because yes. for some for some sort of feeling of self like like celebration, symbolism, arbitration, we're doing wings last. So if we yes. hit wings, we're re-spinning. Basically. The very first best picture winner will be the final episode of the quest for the bestest. It seems fitting, does it not, fellas? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Tanner, sing for us, please. Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Give us a movie that makes us squeal. Is it on digital? Is it on real? Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Oh, and we have to re-roll. <laughs> okay, I'll sing it again, baby. Here we go. Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? Give us a movie that makes us squeal. Is it on digital? Is it on real? Wheel, wheel, what's your deal? And it is just barely not a five. We got oh. a four. All right. <laughs> oh, God. Well, this brings us to the year of 1933. And with a movie that right back I... to Cimarron Land. I uh-huh. associate very heavily with Cimarron, not only because they come from a, a similar era, but because they have similar posters, actually. And they both start with C. This is a film uh, starring uh, uh, Una O'Connor, Clive Brook, Dinah Winyard, oh, nice. and directed by Frank Lloyd, who I believe actually also did Anthony on the Downey. So we have actually, we're, we're familiar with him. Uh, this is Cavalcade. 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 Have Don't we any... read a description here? Yes, <laughs> None please. of us have seen Cavalcade. <laughs> Don't even ask not. it. Um, this is, the, the tagline says, The Picture of the Generation. Oh, oh wow. Okay. Uh, a cavalcade of English life from New Year's Eve 1899 uh, until 1933, seen through the eyes of well-to-do Londoners Jane and Robert Marriott. Amongst events is this touching go- their family are this- the Boer War, the death of Queen Victoria, the sinking of the Titanic, and the Great War. So this, this is Cavalcade meets Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. Yeah. Forrest Gump is just the 1950 to 1980 Cavalcade. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and Ready Player One is the new version, right? Yeah, that's what? digital. That's digital sure. Forrest Gump. Digital Forrest Gump. Well, we shall see how similar these movies really are. 
We're bouncing around in history, but we're so close to finishing the quest for the bestest, at least in its current form. Remember, mm -hmm. let us know what you think about our future plans down in the comments. We haven't really settled anything, so we're open to hear uh, your thoughts. Thank you three for joining me on this nice, nice episode about Forrest Gump. I feel like a very educated man now, having seen this film and discussed it. It's like I went to college for running on the football team. Um, <laughs> Leave in the comments what you think Forrest Gump majored in, by the way. We need to know. Oh, yeah. That, that, the only class we know he canonically took was home ec. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got a lot of writing to do, so we're going to finish the movie and, or finish the episode. And, uh, well, until next time, stay cool, keep warm, peace. Stay cool, keep warm, name your child after a confederate. Are we ready? Oh.